So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And I want to tell you, David Hampton, I am positively happy to be talking to you again. Uh, Absolutely. And, <laughs> although, I, 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 to be honest, it's a little bit of a mixed experience for me this morning. Uh, we record these podcasts using something called Zencaster. We do an audio podcast. Uh and just within the last couple of weeks, Zencaster has upgraded their dashboard. You and I have never actually seen each other while doing these interviews together. But right. now, okay, the nice thing is I can see you. The thing that's disturbing is I can see me. <laughs> uh, I can see so I, I'm staring at myself. And I'm seeing, I am just got back, you know this, just got back from two months in Florida with Allie. Yeah. Uh, where I managed to put on 10 pounds. And I'm oh. seeing it right now in this double chin thing. It's driving me crazy. I look like a pelican. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you put, it, here's, the, here's the trick, Nate. You'll feel a lot better after this. Um, uh -huh. you take the camera, whether you're at, you know, phone or laptop and put it, it as far up close to your forehead as possible <laughs> and then angle it downward as though somebody were looking at you from the top bunk, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so just, you know, try to get as much of that top bunk view of yourself as possible. Yeah. Cause they tell me that's how to take like the perfect selfie, you know? Oh, um, man. So anyway, yeah. So, so you just, you, you want that downward focus uh, thing yeah. where you're just sort of looking up and then all that sort of just will, will just uh, be, uh, you know, it'll be yeah, camouflaged by your beautiful face and, and your jaw okay. and bone structure and all the things that okay. make you the handsome guy you are. So <laughs> you'll feel, you'll feel e so either much that better. I could that I could take I could take off the ten pounds. Oh, it's a hell of I mean, a lot easier option. just to suspend the camera. <laughs> you know, that's why the selfie stick was invented. You know, that is okay. it's just to take our chins out of the out of the equation. Because yeah. I, I hear oh, you, it's the same oh, thing. But yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 The only hitch is though, you know, if you gain enough weight, uh, as I have been known to do, uh the the upward uh down the downward angle from up on high, you lose the chins, but they can't see your feet because of your gut. So you <laughs> <laughs> So you we either lose your chins and and uh you can't see your feet because of your waist, or we yeah. just you know, or we could just freaking lose weight. 
you know, that would be helpful too. But God, what a pain in the ass that is, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it exactly. sounds like you ate well in Florida, you know? We, so. You know, we did. We did. And, I, you know, I, I got into vacation head. And, yeah. you know, there's this idea when you're on vacation, all the rules are off, which is which is OK if you're on vacation for a week, you know, or yeah. you're going on a 10 day cruise. Yeah. I went to Florida for two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to sustain that over, uh, you know, uh, months yeah. of time that, that then it gets a little problematic. But yeah. 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 Uh, made it back, made it back in Florida. One of the reasons for leaving, one of our excuses for leaving was we were going to have some extensive renovations done inside the house and the right. contractors coming in and out. We wanted to be, uh, we wanted to insulate ourselves as much as possible from exposure to COVID. And one of the reasons why we extended our trip to Florida was Allie was able to get the vaccine down there, two doses, right. four weeks apart. So we extended the trip. Um we got back just ahead of the blizzard that, you know, six inches of snow paralyzed Nashville for a week. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. It <laughs> uh, is. Came back to, to find out that the, the renovations were not finished and the kitchen was not complete. In fact, the kitchen was not functional. Oh, man. Uh, uh, so, you know, cooking in uh, hot pots and toaster ovens. Uh, that's what we've done cooking in the dining room since we got home. Which is Once what again, you were trying to avoid by going to Florida. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. right. Oh, and man. I suppose if I was really committed to healthful eating, I would have figured out a way to eat healthily under those conditions. But it was much easier to eat conveniently. Yeah. Right? That is true. That is true. You know, Convenience is uh, not healthy always, for but, but it yeah. is convenient <laughs> yeah 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 well so uh you know while i was gone you had a conversation with a guy who who has some experience around eating issues and how they relate to recovery yes we have a really uh really interesting conversation coming up because uh this guy is coming to us all the way from uh glasgow scotland and mm. um, and he and his wife have written some books and have some web resources that he'll be telling us about that um, has some real interesting um, approaches to success with people who are struggling um, with binge eating. And uh, mm. so that's going to be a really interesting episode. Wow. I'm jealous. I wish I had been able to be. I, I forget why I wasn't able to be on that one, but uh I love a good Scottish accent, and I I missed out on the whole conversation. But you did a great job. Well, I appreciate it. I had to I had to tune in because my American ears, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it goes by fast when you <laughs> hear words that uh, you're not used to uh, being pronounced in certain ways. So you have to really uh, you have to perk up. But it's it's it was worth it. It's going to be fun to listen to it. Okay, well, uh, listen. Uh, stay with us then, uh, f- friends. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And today, our guest is Richard Kerr. And Richard is coming to us from Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, he is um, a best-selling author, uh, co-authored a book called The Binge Code, 
uh, uh, the bulimia help method. He's got another book that we're going to talk about later. Um, he uh, has a website called benchcode.com with meditations and personal services, recovery tools and strategies and all of that. And uh, as you may have guessed, we are going to be talking about our relationship to eating today and when that becomes disordered and what that uh, what that means. And so, Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you. And um, so just jumping right in, can you tell me how you began um, researching and uh, and exploring the whole world of uh, bulimia, binge eating, uh, what we might call disordered relationships with food and all of that? How did how did that get started for you? Um, yep, sure. Absolutely, David. Um, so my, I've kind of got a not not very typical story. Um, I never expected to be in this field, but um, I guess my story goes back to 2003. And me and my girlfriend at the time, we were backpacking around America. We're actually in Florida. Uh-huh. And we're just getting on like a house on fire. And I was pretty certain that like this was the girl of my dreams. We're going we're gonna to get married. And she turns around one day and she goes, I've got a secret to confess. And she says, I've got an eating disorder. I've got bulimia. Um, at the time, honestly, I knew, I don't know very much about what bulimia was. And I, I think I heard about Princess Diana had it before and I wasn't really sure what it meant. But I said, right. that's fine. Look, we'll, 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 we'll go get help. We'll go get support and we'll try to resolve this. Um, so uh-huh. we did. And we went to the doctor um, back in Scotland and we came back to Scotland. And the doctor just looked at her, gave her a blank stare and says, would you like some antidepressants? Um, Ali's mm. like, no, not really. I've, I've got this condition where um, what bulimia is, is you eat a lot, a lot of food and then you purge it up afterwards, you vomit it. Yeah. And the thing about it is, when you look at it from an outside point of view, it can look really strange. You can think to yourself, well, why, why, is, why does a person do that? Why, is it, why, why can't they just stop? You know what I mean? It looks like one of those things you could just prevent yourself from doing it. So again, yeah. we did research. We started looking at the books. And again, all the books were kind of saying, look, this is something you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. So as you can imagine for Ali, that was pretty depressing. It was something she didn't want to deal with. It's something she wanted to overcome. And me being stubborn was like, no, there has to be some other solution or some other reason. Now, here's my reasoning. It's because whenever I looked at Ali, like I was crazy in love. This woman uh-huh. was amazing, inside and out, like a big shining heart. She had a Scottish sense of humor, um, fantastic. And I just couldn't reconcile the fact that, you know, she was somehow irrevocably broken and couldn't be fixed. Um, or there's something wrong with her, like a mental defect. So mm. again, we went back to the research, back to studying, and that's when we started to discover some really interesting things. Um, and really, the first big key we discovered was the uh, the food body connection. And that quite simply is um, there was a study done in the 1950s by a guy called Ansel Keys. And these type of studies, you're kind of not allowed to do them anymore because it's not really you know, socially acceptable. But um, I think it was for six months, they got um, volunteers for the army and put them on like a semi-starvation diet and pretty much just starved them for six months. Uh, they recorded the side effects and all the side effects that they recorded correlated exactly to the same side effects as binge eating and bulimia. So here was the first real sort of concrete evidence that, you know, not eating enough food restricting your diet can lead to these side effects and conditions mm-hmm. so so 
very simply, we thought about the food side of things and we created a simple program for Ali where she started to eat more regular foods. Um, she stopped dieting, stopped restricting her intake and sort of brought her body back into balance. And there's a few other keys as well. We did that, you know, a few psychological things and a few ways of looking at food. But pretty soon, um, all the symptoms started to go away. Within about a month or two, she was nearly stopped binge eating and purging altogether. And I was like, that was, I was shocked. Like that was so remarkably successful. So I put this sort of strategy in a simple website. I put it online and I kind of forgot about it. Just said, here's what I did. I wonder if someone else is interested in this. It might help someone else. Um, but this was back in the day when websites could rank like pretty easy on Google. Uh-huh. Pretty soon people were finding it. People started emailing me back. This is amazing. This is changing my life. And I was like going, really? It's, this works for other people too. And so we started working on the strategy and sort of filling all the holes. And over the years, we've developed into like a step-by-step program. And now it's we've uh, we've been doing this for 25, no, since 2008. So it's like 12 years. We've been two successful books. We've got a coaching business. We've got like 12 coaches on board and we've helped thousands of people over the world. So it's really snowballed from then. But uh, that's that's sort of how I got into it in the first place. Wow. So just so I understand, going back, um, the study, they restricted food from the participants and realized that the more restricted people felt in their diet, the more likely when they did eat, they were going to they were going to binge. Okay, so so there's there's two real factors that 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 lead people to want to binge eat. more people often think is mostly about emotions and yes emotions can play a part but i would say that first of all it's per eating habits and then second of all it's sort of conditioning um we call them reflex habits so that can involve emotions and stress and stuff but uh-huh. per eating habits are a huge factor absolutely massive so this is how it works um we need food to survive if we don't eat food we die simple as that so our body has developed really powerful survival mechanisms to ensure that we eat enough food. So here's a simple example. If you held your breath for 30 seconds, pretty soon you're going to feel like a real compulsion to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the exact same thing happens with food. If you don't eat enough food or if you diet or restrict your food intake for long enough, you trigger what we call primal hunger. And this is not your typical, you know, I'm craving something to eat type hunger. This is an intense, powerful, doesn't make sense, can come at any time of the day. You can eat loads of food and still feel this really powerful hunger. And it's just your body thinking that you're in a famine or your body's thinking there's something wrong here and it's just trying to compel you to eat food. So when you trigger this primal hunger and you start to eat food, you don't feel satisfied. You can just eat and eat and eat. And as you can imagine, if you're on a diet or if you're trying to reduce you know, your weight, and you all of a sudden you just find yourself eating and eating and eating and you can't stop. It's it's a scary experience. And you might start right. to think, you might start thinking there's something wrong with me. You know, am I going crazy? I, I want to go on a diet. I don't want to binge. But you just can't help it because this is your primal instincts kicking in. So this study was the first real evidence of that. Um, it is an old study because it's 1950s. But like I said, they can't do these studies anymore because you just can't starve people. It's just right, not right. acceptable. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so so that's what led us to believe that the first step to recovery is really to balance your eating habits. Um, so that's like eating regularly, eating enough food for your body, 
and eating balanced meals. They're the key three strategies that we look at to really start the process of bringing you back in balance and healing. Yeah. Well, if your body, if you're, if you're taking in all this food because your body's sending you the message that you could starve, you know, if you don't, if you don't do this, where does the purge impulse come from? So the purge impulse is, is more to do with anxiety and fear. So to, in order to trigger this primal hunger, you, you're going to, it's not, you're going to be restricting your food intake probably quite severely, which means that you're probably the type of person who's going to be you know, pushing yourself and striving to do things well. So if you're going to go on a diet, I'm going to go on a diet really hard. I'm going to restrict hard. And you're determined. But the more determined you are and the more you restrict, the more of this sort of side effect, this binge, this urge comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you find yourself, then you've been perhaps two, three months on a diet, and then all of a sudden you're experiencing these primal hungers, these primal cravings, and you start eating lots and lots of food, you panic. You fear, you think, oh, no, I've just ruined my diet. Oh, no, I'm just going to lead straight to weight gain. And you think, well, what can I do to, to get rid of this? And so there's a couple of options. People, you know, sometimes starve the next day, don't eat. People sometimes uh, work out for a couple of hours in the gym. Or, you know, if push comes to solve, sometimes they can purge the food up through vomiting. And generally, like nine times or 99 times out of 100, they'll think to themselves, it's just a one-off. I won't, I'll never do that again. Yeah. But the but the problem is um, restriction is what's causing primal hunger. And if you purge your food or if you overexercise or if you fast the next day, you're causing more restriction. So you're making the problem worse. So then a day later or two days later, you're going to experience that primal hunger all over again. And the cycle sort of starts to continue like that. So this is, yeah. this is a lot of knock-on side effects too, because people don't understand that, you know, restricting your food intake can lead to such these urges. So they blame themselves. You know, they think there's something wrong with them. They blame their emotions, their habits, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was um, kind of trained to believe that um, the, the well, I guess, would you consider this a disordered relationship with food? Well, uh, yes, it is disordered. Um, but it's mostly down to, mostly down to just to bad habits. That you've developed so you know your relationship with food perhaps you're skipping breakfast perhaps not eating enough lunch and that leaves you starving in the evenings which can lead to binge cravings perhaps you are depriving yourself of foods that you enjoy this is a big thing we see time and time again you know people um think they can't have sweets or chocolate or cake or donuts so they avoid them altogether but there becomes a point where your willpower just expires willpower doesn't last forever and eventually there will be a point when you're like, I don't know, you're walking past your kid's table and you pick up some food off the plate or something, or, or you're just walking past and you just give in and you buy these foods or you purchase these foods and eat these foods that you haven't been allowing yourself to eat for months and months. Yeah. And so in in some ways, it's a, it's a guilt feeling about um, allowing yourself to indulge in something you enjoy that might not be, you know, considered healthy, but you know, you love pastry and when you finally give in, you really go for it. Is that, is that a fair? Uh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, and, and, but the thing is, if you think about it, if you have been depriving these foods for so long and then you actually give in, allow yourself to have them, you don't really eat them mindfully. What you do is you think to yourself, I've got this small window of opportunity where I'm allowing myself to eat these foods. And so you try to consume as much as possible, as fast as possible, before you change your mind. 
and say, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to allow myself to have them. So when you eat them, you tend to eat them very quickly. You tend to, you know, get as much down there as possible. And you might say to yourself, okay, I'll be good tomorrow, um, which is not necessary. So what we teach people is once you get back in balance, you can eat all foods. And the key there is obviously to be mindful. And when you're eating the food, really savor it, really enjoy the experience. Uh, like my, mindful eating. I mean, that's right. I mean, is mm-hmm. that what you're kind of calling it? Um, well, we, we, we call it insight eating because there's a few okay. There's a few different strategies involved there um, because mindful eatings can work to a certain extent, but um, food nowadays has been so engineered to be quite Moorish. You know, you open a box, open a bag, bag of Pringles, you tend to eat all the Pringles. So you, you can't be too mindful. You also have to be wary of what works for you personally. So we call it okay. inside eating. It's all about getting your own personal inside of what works best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you have um, in your research together uh, any insights on how or if uh, something like trauma impacts um, like uh, unresolved trauma or unaddressed trauma uh, in a person's story uh, might impact how they um, demonstrate that in their relationship to food? Yep, absolutely. So I've been talking a lot about the food side of things, but there is another aspect of it, which is that um, the reflex habit, which we call, which is your brain being conditioned to crave foods in relation to uncomfortable emotions or stress or even just, you know, memories or experience in time with people. So your brain is a habit making machine. And if your brain learns that, you know, when I'm feeling stressed out and uncomfortable and I eat food, it makes me feel better. You know, food releases uh, serotonin and positive chemicals in the body, and your brain quickly learns this can be used to numb uncomfortable emotions. Right. And so people who have trauma tend to have a lot of discomfort in their body. Um, just from day to day, the way they feel, there can be a lot of pain or discomfort, and this could be related to past traumas. So what they do is they don't really, they, they kind of disconnect from their body. And this makes it more challenging for us because really the key to overcoming all eating disorders and binge eating is learning to come back into your body, learning to respond to what works best for you. So you're eating, this, like I said, inside eating work, what's eating foods that works best for you. And when you're hungry, you eat enough food to make you feel satisfied and you stop. And it's all very intuitive and it's all very inner. But if you have trauma, it's certainly more challenging to be able to come back into your body, come back into that space because that space might not feel safe for you. So right. we suggest for people with trauma, what we, what we love actually, we're big fans of yoga and there's a thing called yeah. tra- um, yoga therapy for trauma. And that's really about slowly coming back into your body. So you're not feeling overwhelmed and doesn't trigger an anxiety and you know panic attack. So that would be exercises like, you know, very simply just um, touching your fingers with your thumb or even just mm. wiggling your toes and come back into your feet. These tend to be relatively safe spaces for people with trauma to start to explore. And over time, you can work towards um, coming back into more of your body and more than body scans and just noticing how like your arms feel, then your legs. And eventually, you know, over a period of time, you can start to explore the inner body, the heart, the chest. Um, but certainly, trauma is something that is challenging. And we always recommend working with someone who's experienced in that area. Yeah, yeah. And and I also wanted to know um is this a um <clears throat> excuse me is is 
how much does something like body dysmorphia play into this uh, binging and purging pattern that begins? Okay, yep, absolutely. It's a, it's a massive concern. But what we tend to find is, so this is this is the unfortunate side effect of restricting your diet. If you restrict enough, um, if you're not eating any carbohydrates, for example, you're going to that's going to prevent serotonin being created in your brain. So the less mm-hmm. carbs you have, the less serotonin you have, so the less good you feel. So we often find that people who have a really negative body image, you can't bear to look themselves in the mirror. Um, we say, look, okay, we understand where you're at and we understand how challenging this is for you, but we want you to try this program out for just six months. And we say, look, you can put your old habits and behaviors on the shelf and try these new habits and behaviors for six months. If you don't like where you're at after six months, feel free to put that away and bring your old habits and behaviors back. But what we find is, is that when they stop the restriction, when they start to feed their body, the brain starts to produce a lot more happy chemicals. This is this is what we call getting to center. This is all about getting to a place where you're emotionally balanced, emotionally centered, and you're able to understand what works best for you. And all, what we often hear is people say, you know, especially when they're like six to 12 months down the line, they'll go, I, I can't even remember what I used to think like when I, you know, a year ago, because I feel like such a different person. And those sort of behaviors and habits just naturally Actually, start to drift away. Mm-hmm. But, it, but but the whole thing itself is there is lots of challenges, and, and there's a whole area we look at with and how to respond to your cravings. And this might be something that could be useful for for the um, your podcast mm-hmm. because um, I know for people that come to us, they find cravings to be very anxiety inducing. Um, they don't understand why they're feeling these cravings. There's confusion. There's fear. There's worry. And so we like to do is sort of take them in a process where they're not so reactive to these cravings. Um, so the way the way I think of it is, I say to the people, our clients, is if you were to put your hand and start scratching your head and listen to the sound that made, okay? So if you didn't know what was making that sound, say, for example, that noise just appeared one day, how would you react to that noise of the scratch in your head? Of course, you'd freak out. You'd be like, oh, my God, what's this? So we say to them, um, it's similar to these cravings because you don't understand where these cravings are coming from. You overreact and you freak out and you panic about them. But once you understand the process of restrictive diets that leads to these cravings, they're not so scary. And the thing about all cravings is, is that they pass eventually. You know, they're, they're like the tide, they come and go. Yeah. So we try to teach them to a level of acceptance. There's going to be some discomfort. Cravings are uncomfortable. So you got to learn that skill of just being sort of comfortable with some discomfort. And a really simple thing we use, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say a really simple technique we use for that is what we call rate your discomfort. So think of the mm. discomfort in your body and give it a number from one to 10. And you'll tend to find that, you know, most of the time people, the numbers are like two or three. And it's when you actually think about what it feels like physically in your body, um, but it's more their reactivity in their mind, you know, overreacting and panicking about the actual discomfort of a craving that makes it seem bigger than it really is. Mm. Yeah. So, so in some ways it's fearing, um, the, uh, what am I trying to say? It's, is it's almost a hypothetical 
uh, thing that you're fearing. It may be something that isn't, maybe at least that isn't as big as it is, as it seems. Does that make sense? Like, like you're fearing the, the possibility that I'll feel worse than I actually do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's mostly reactivity. Um, you know, if you jogged up a hill quite fast and you got to the top of the hill, you'd be out of breath and your whole body would be like vibrating and you'd be hot and sweaty and clammy, but you don't think anything of it. You just sort of dismiss it. You know, I've just been jogging. Of course, I feel like that. But if you were to experience that as a craving, you would be, oh my gosh, this is the most powerful thing in the world. And you feel like you must react to it. You feel like you must respond to it. But we always say, you know, a craving is a feeling. It's not a command. And it doesn't have power to control you. You always have that choice. You're always that silent, powerful one underneath. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, Richard, one of the things that with other behaviors that that drives and works with anxiety and fear is shame. How much does shame play a part in perpetuating the uh, the binging and purging behaviors? Okay, wonderful question. Uh, the very first thing we say to people when they come to work with us is this is a no blame zone mm-hmm. because shame and guilt is massive and it's it's so it's so damaging. Um, we have people that come to us, clients after maybe 20, 30, 40 years of suffering with eating disorders and that's 20, 30, 40 years of you know, shame, guilt, and just self-hatred. So the first thing we say, look, it's not your fault. It's 100% not your fault. You know, we live in a diet-obsessed society that encourages you to restrict your food intake. And all you're experiencing is a very, very natural, very normal side effect of a restrictive diet. So guilt-free, shame-free place. And then, you know, it does take time, but eventually we teach them that they can eat all foods in moderation and they can do it guilt-free. So we have tools and strategies for that. But absolutely, shame is such a such a damaging, uh, and it's not necessary as well. But it really is, again, it's a side effect from diets. Diets tell people, don't do this. Don't eat this. Don't eat this banana after 7 o'clock on a Saturday night or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and people, you know, that's not natural. Anything that tells you you can't do something, you know, it's not going to last in the long term, in the long run. Eventually. If you give someone a rule, they're going to break it. And once they break it, you're going to feel guilt, shame. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Am I not good enough? Etc. And it's absolute nonsense. It's just a side effect. It's just because we're going, diets go against human nature. Once you get back into your human nature and how you're meant to process food and live, you know, you don't need guilt. You don't need shame. Yeah. And so if uh, our listeners access uh, your your website, bingecode.com, or uh, can pick up the book, uh, The Binge Code, which is on Amazon and bulimia, uh, the Bulimia Help Method, which I think they can also get there, um, there are some real practical ways that you walk them through this process. Because I imagine this is a very... Um, I imagine the individuals that come forward to you or anyone that where they seek help are very alienated and lonely, isolated people. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, and but it's it's honestly one of those for us. It's honestly one of those situations where you imagine that the process of recovery is extremely challenging. It feels like you're trying to climb Mount Everest 
in your bedroom slippers. But the practical, oh. ra- but the reality of it is, it's not that challenging. It's just you know small steps you take to change your habits that over a period of time will have the desired effect. So once we break it down and show them step by step what they need to do, it's very, it's very achievable, very achievable. Yeah. Well, I want to encourage our listeners to take advantage of that. And, and for those that they know that may be struggling and suffering, uh, that they can pass this on as well, because this is very helpful. And I think there, there are probably a lot of myths around this behavior that people think they understand, but maybe they really don't. And so this seems like a really helpful thing. And, and Richard, before we get away, you wrote another book (laughs) that I want to talk about (laughs) because I'm fascinated because, um, you know, we talk about fear and anxiety and all kinds of uh, addictive behaviors and compulsive behaviors and all that and the role that it plays. But you you wrote a book that kind of the title alone just kind of puts an exclamation point on it. And tell us tell us what your book is. Um, my book is Fuck Fear. There you um, go. And it, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's my personal experience with anxiety. When I was like 20 to 25, I had extremely bad anxiety. And it just destroyed my world, destroyed my life, destroyed my relationships and friendships. And I thought I was going mad. I thought I was going crazy. So mm-hmm. this book is kind of me just confessing all those sort of feelings and worries and thoughts that I was having at the time. And it's just like, well, how do you have, it's kind of just the honest, raw truth of what I was going through. And But most importantly, how so the steps I took to completely recover as well. Um, so that was the idea behind the book, something raw, something real, something written by someone who's been through the experience and uh, hopefully. Yeah. Creates, yeah. Did you find uh, what, could you tell us a little bit about what the root of your anxiety maybe turned out to be, or did you approach it that way? Um, that's a great question. I actually never found out the root of my anxiety. Um, it just came on one day. And I think honestly, it was just, you know, genetics, people are, some people are more sensitive to anxiety than other. I think I'm just naturally a little bit more sensitive to anxiety. Um, I just went to college at the time. I was out drinking, you know, smoking marijuana. Um, was not looking after myself well, staying up late at night. Um, and sort of all sort of accumulated into having a panic attack one day. And I wasn't mm. really sure what was happening to me. I didn't know anything about anxiety. And my family actually has a history of mental health issues in my uncles and aunties. And so the first thing I thought was, oh, no, I've lost my mind. Something, Something's gone wrong. Something's broke. Mm. And that thought that I've lost my mind was terrifying. And because that thought was so scary, I was terrified. And because I was terrified, I stayed anxious. So I felt continually anxious pretty much nonstop for about five years. And then it slowly started to the other way but that, that was a challenging experience to go through oh absolutely and um did you uh did you introduce yourself to i'm sure a, a lot of modalities to try to uh, medicate it um maybe like meditation things like that were there any of those things that were successful um i, I did try meditation um and I remember I just I just let into I just fought with my thoughts. So I remember sitting in a room and uh, sat in a chair and was like, "That's it. I'm going to meditate for half an hour and not have any thoughts whatsoever." Mm. 
And obviously that doesn't work. And my thoughts came back pretty quickly. And I, and I just fought with my thoughts, going, go away, go away. And it just led to stress, uh-huh. um, more anxiety, really. And giving me a headache at the end of it, I left going, it just doesn't work for me. But no, now I absolutely love meditation. I'm a huge fan of meditation. But at that time, in the state I was in, I was not in the right place. Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, the recovery, the key really came down to was really um, that idea of acceptance, of understanding, very similar to eating disorders, is that you're, you're not losing it. You're not going out of control. You've just triggered um, an anxious response. And if you learn to get back and tune with your body, learn to be more comfortable with the discomfort in your body, going, no, it's okay. It's just discomfort. It's just anxiety. It's just a feeling. And sort of learning to rebuild that relationship with yourself, um, it does wonders for really dispelling that anxious feeling. But the book really breaks down, again, more strategies on how to, how to do that. But the overall picture is really, again, it's about acceptance. It's about being yeah. okay. It's about being okay when you're not feeling so okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that is that is that is really fascinating, Jimmy. I want our I want our listeners to explore that book as well because I think that uh, the root of a lot of the um, behaviors that I that I see people uh, experiencing is um, a really strong anxiety and a belief that um, my feelings are facts. You know. That just because I feel it, it must be true and mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. And so anything that can help people break that down, I'm, I'm all for. So um, I want them to check out that book as well. But Richard, thank you so much for being on the Positive Sobriety Podcast today with us. Um, again, Richard Kerr, the books are The Bench Code and Bulimia Help Method. Um, and again, they're, uh, available online, many, many places and, uh, his, his newest book, fuck fear. We want to, don't forget that one. Cause that's going to be at the root of a bunch of other things you're probably trying to deal with. And, uh, and also check out, uh, benchcode.com where you'll get a lot of these helpful, uh, personal resources and steps. And, and Richard, is there anywhere else that, uh, people can get in touch with you all or directly to, uh, take advantage of your, of your work? Uh, no, that, that, I think, David, you've covered them all. The website, bingecode.com, is really to go to if you're, if you're having eating issues. And then fuck fears. Um, if you want to read a more realistic, raw experience of anxiety and sort of in the trenches strategies for overcoming it. But David, I also want to say is that I'm, you know, I thank you for your service in this podcast. It's a really powerful thing you do. I don't know if you know much about people from Ireland, but um, alcohol is a huge problem in Ireland. Mm. It's big in Scotland and Ireland. My dad actually passed away um, just under 10 years ago with alcohol-related uh, issues as well. So man, I think sorry. something like this, and it's, it's more the, it's the culture of Ireland. That's just the way people are and it's sort, of, sort of expected if you, to drink and on the weekend you're supposed to drink and if you're at a party and you're not drinking, people are like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? And it's really quite damaging. And I think yeah. it's really needed to sort of change the dialogue around alcohol and to realize, you know, this it can be fun in small doses, but it can be very destructive and ultimately, you know, life damaging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. I'm sorry about your dad. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, we're America is becoming a more and more alcohol centered culture as well. You know, we're drinking more than we ever have here. Um, 
and a uh, bunch of reasons for that probably, but um, it's, uh, it's not good. So, um, but, uh, but thank you for your encouragement uh, and thank you for the uh, words about the podcast. I appreciate that. So thank you, David. Thank you as well. Absolutely. Well, listeners don't go away. We will be right back uh, here on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, Nate, I do hate that you weren't able to uh, lend your voice to that conversation, but um, <laughs> it was uh, it was an interesting it was an interesting talk because I found that um, a lot of the things that we think we know about um, binge eating and bulimia and um, these behaviors, and I think most. Um, addictive, problematic, unwanted behaviors. Um, there are so many misconceptions about, and I, and I feel like, um, today, uh, our guest did a really good job of making us aware of some facts about mm. food and the brain and the way that, uh, it triggers and, and his own, uh, wife's struggle with all of that. I have to say he did surprise me with the um, uh, willingness to talk about his upcoming book. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if we need to uh, put any adult warnings on the on the podcast for the title of his book, but it's a great title and it and it's appropriate. You know, but uh, just how much fear and anxiety play in our role uh, with unwanted behaviors? Yes, I am afraid that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we're. <laughs> You know, and he's got a great way to say it, a concise yeah, yeah. way to yeah. way to say it. But uh, he's got his own history with anxiety disorders and fear, and um, and I think that book is also going to be helpful as well. Um, so you know, a lot of our guests are coming to us from places of um, uh, substance abuse, substance use disorder. Um, you know, certainly uh, sexual. Uh, addiction or sexual compulsivity and unwanted sexual behaviors and all that kind of stuff. But I know that we have a significant part part of our audience that um, uh, experiences overlap and, Mm. um, you know, cross addiction is what we would say. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that's been interesting in the work I'm doing with um, people with a substance issue is that when a substance gets addressed and we get sobriety and we get some miles on us, uh, from, from the substance, it's not uncommon for something like bulimia. If it's been a problem in the past or anorexia, some type of Mm -hmm. food issue to rear its head, you know, because I've had several, particularly for whatever reason, female clients that will say, you know, I'm three months sober from alcohol, but I'm starting to fight the bulimia again. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that's starting to come back again. And, and it's rooted in some of the things that uh, Richard Kerr talked about today. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I hope that that's helpful for our audience who may uh, not have uh, been as open with their food issues, but as they have been with some of their other issues um, and they can find encouragement there. And I, I'm wondering, can it be that at least in some contexts, there's more shame around the disordered eating than there is around the compulsive drinking. It's as though alcoholism has gained a certain amount of respectability. Yeah. Uh, and you can even win the admiration of your peers by tackling it. Right. But but to own 
first of all, to admit to yourself and then to admit to a therapist. And then, I mean, nobody, it's not necessary for everyone to do this, but the prospect that other people might find out there might, I'm, I'm wondering whether the, that shame issue, which I'm very familiar with, by the way, in Mm -hmm. sexual issues, Mm -hmm. uh, the shame of falling victim to a pattern of disordered eating might be uh, enough to keep people trapped in it longer than they need to be. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, I have a, I have a friend that struggles with this and she told me that she said, you know, she said not to minimize your sobriety with uh, from alcohol, but she said, you have to decide that I am powerless over alcohol. It's not going to be a part of my life anymore. I don't drink, Mm -hmm. you know, and you go to parties, you don't drink, you go to cookouts, you don't drink, you sit at home alone, you don't drink. She said, Mm -hmm. I've got to learn how to pet the dragon three times a day. You know, you killed the dragon. I have to learn how to pet the dragon three times a day because it is ever present, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I court the dragon and send it love notes. That's how bad I am with food at times, you know, yeah, so I don't yeah, just pet yeah, the dragon. Yeah. I'm, you know, like, uh, nurturing it. And, uh, but it's, it's an interesting dynamic because we don't, it's not a behavior that you just have to leave and, and go beyond. Yeah. So, but, but recovery actually engaging the issue, engaging our own story, uh, asking for help, doing the work, mm-hmm. uh, whatever challenge we face, whatever addiction we may have fallen victim to, whatever pattern of compulsive behavior has worked its way into our lives. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity actually now for growth, for character, character change, for making, for making life larger, mm-hmm. uh, if we'll just uh, step into it. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that today's episode will inspire some of our listeners who maybe have been living in some denial about the extent to which uh, their time at the table has become destructive. Right. Perhaps there's some encouragement, some inspiration to actually take this opportunity for growth and yeah, engage. I, I, and I do hope they take advantage of uh, going to the website that he uh, gave and that um, he highlighted that they, yeah. he and his wife um, have materials there because uh, there's so much, there's so much there to be gleaned and, um, and embraced. I think that um, I'm, I'm really glad we can offer that kind of resource uh, today to folks that are possibly experiencing more than one um addictive behavior. Yeah. Hey, before we go, you want to invite, uh, remind our listeners, uh, about our sponsor, about our generous sponsor. Yes. Um, better help H E L P betterhelp.com is our sponsor. And that is an online, uh, therapy resource. You can get an, a licensed, uh, therapist, uh, online at your convenience at your time that you choose and you can have that same therapist throughout your um, duration of time that you agree to uh, subscribe, uh, or you can change therapists if that's not a good fit for you. And we've got about 500,000 people now, not positive sobriety, but uh, betterhelp.com has about 500,000 people now taking advantage of their services. They have a number of licensed therapists in any areas that you're struggling with, with um, anxiety, depression, um, relationships, all those things that we all, 
um, fall prey to. And uh, now is a great time to take advantage of that. Uh, doing it from the, you know, the convenience of your own home, your own uh, cell phone, your own car. Uh, but you get your therapy time in and, and you can get unstuck in these areas that we all feel stuck in. And if you will put uh, slash positive sobriety at the end of that, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, uh, you will get a 10% discount. And you'll also uh, let us know that the resources we're providing here are beneficial. So betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. Fantastic. Well, and by the way, let me just repeat that we love your feedback, any encouragement, any suggestion. You can always reach us at positive sobriety at gmail.com. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 